0: Okay, good morning, folks. Um, Thank you for listening today, and I'm really excited to have Seth Gross on the phone. Uh, Seth is an owner at Bull City Burger and Brewery, as well as uh, Pomparee Pizza in Durham, North Carolina, and uh, he has a lot of experience in the business, uh, nearly 30 years in the restaurant business, Um, uh, went to Culinary Institute Institute of America, and Seth has... uh, some really awesome philosophies around his business and I can't wait to talk to him because he's really got a very clear vision for what he's trying to do and uh his story is really unique and uh they kind of he's kind of drawn drawn a line in the sand as to what they're all about which I admire so much so Seth thanks so much for taking the time to do this pleasure to be here so um So, what I was referring to about sort of drawing the line in the sand, you know I went to, so I'm on the Bull City Burger and Brewery site, and I was kinda of learning about you guys and I mean, you have just and I really love this by the way, I think it's so nice and refreshing to know what somebody stands for and to see that they have core beliefs and they stick by those and so folks like you can check out Seth's site, but you know, I'll give you an example um. One of the things they're really big on at Bull City is um, they only use grass-fed beef. And I'll let Seth talk a little bit about why that is. But there's even a line in it that says, you know, we'll close before we use corn-fed beef. Uh, and so that really stood out to me. And, then you know, you have a clear mission statement and what your values are. And you guys, I mean, like I just underlined, like I wrote down stands for something. And I underlined aligned it like five times when I was doing the most of this. So, Jeff, um, talk a little bit about that and, and why you know, just what's behind all that and why it's so important to you.
1: It's it's been a slow evolution. When I got out of cooking school, I went to work for some top restaurants and chefs and you got exposed to a lot of interesting ingredients and at that time uh, farmers markets and and working for CSAs and all this was sort of in its infancy. Um, this is early nineteen nineties and the exposure to these ingredients made me start to kind of question some things. I I don't know how conscious it was, but as I would meet some of these farmers and see ingredients roll in the back door and say, wow, this is what this looks like. And someone would explain to me exactly why these tomatoes look different than what I'm used to seeing. And then I would taste things and it all started to click. And I started to really question a lot about our food system. And then then you start reading and that's always dangerous because you start learning and ignorance is always nice up to a point and then you realize wait a second what i'm doing is is not good and i started learning about high fructose corn syrup and the possible uh, detrimental effect to our health from that and then trans fats and then then people like michael poland's book started coming out and you start reading that stuff and and it all sort of came together and then sort of the, the pivotal moment for me of course a lot of folks you have kids and then you start thinking about what is it that I'm doing that is going to make their future brighter, better? What am I going to leave behind? And I started thinking that we simply cannot enable the food system we have. And I do, every week I have a food tour that I do, and I have actually, I I open the doors to the church, temple, synagogue, or mosque of pastories, beefism, and I preach for about 15 minutes, and I warn people that there's a low point, and when you think that we're there, we're actually not. It gets worse. And then I bring people back up and say there's hope. And that hope is pasture raised beef. Uh, we simply cannot continue on the path that we have where we feed America using so much corn, either through corn syrup and things like that in our diet or through feeding livestock and all of the hormones and antibiotics that, that go with that. It is literally killing us slowly. And I don't want to enable that. I wanted to make a difference. And I think... The one thing that people do every day in our world is eat, Uh, those who I interact with every day. And if I want to affect change in my community, food is a great vehicle to make that voice. So we're not preachy except for that Saturday sermon. We just sort of say, hey, we feature pasture-raised beef. And if people are willing to ask, well, why, then it gives me an opportunity to really expand on that and, and give them some information. And most people come away with sort of, wow, I had no idea. I wish someone had told me that. And I know it's hard as a former user. You know, you can't quit overnight, but you start with at home. You start making changes in your diet, and then slowly as you go out, you start to question where did the food come from. And if enough of the consumers out there are questioning these things and asking chefs to make changes in their menus and what they do, I think that there's a movement there, and that's what I'm all about.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, talk. I want you to talk a little bit about um, the difference in so I think a lot of people don't know that. I mean, you, you're starting to hear the term grass-fed, and then
1: mm-hmm. I think
0: there's the whole idea of whether it's grass-fed and corn-finished or grass-fed and grass-finished. And I started looking at it right. a few years ago, and I realized, like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, that you, you think, like, oh, well, I got into this thing where I really was trying to eat, you know, more meats and everything and uh, less carbohydrates. And then I realized, well, yeah, but, you know, this, Sort of mass-produced corn-fed beef basically just doesn't have any nutrients by the point you know you 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 put in your mouth. Um, and a lot of that's yeah. because of what it's fed. So grass that would yeah. be, I mean, fill in my gas, but like it it has a ton more omega threes. It's got it, it less saturated fat. The fat it has, yeah. is healthier fat. Like it, it's basically because that's what cows are supposed to eat, right? I mean, that, right.
1: <laughs> I, exactly right. You know when we started changing cows from from feeding on grass to corn it has had an enormous effect on everything in our lives, from our healthcare system to the way cars are built, all of it has been affected by corn and this This change to changing the diet of the cow has had a huge impact on our health because when a cow eats corn, you have higher saturated fat, higher cholesterol, lower linoleic acid, lower omega fatty acids, and those two things fight cancer in America. We have more obesity, cancer, heart disease, strokes, and diabetes. Than any nation on the planet. And a big part of that is definitely the meat that we've been eating. It's been a slow erosion of our health. We didn't see these effects prior to the 1970s when we decided to start feeding cows corn. And I remind people that our beef is banned in the EU. It is against the law to feed a cow corn in Europe. And and you cannot take American beef to Europe. It is forbidden. And in Europe, they simply do not have the amount of health problems that we have, especially because of our meat and the amount of corn that is in people's diets.
0: Do you think, um, you know, one thing I always think about this is like, you, you mentioned that, so there's an education piece and uh, that, that, you know, that we're up against. But in your, is there your a cultural piece this too, Seth? And what I mean is like, um like we we just, we tend to want things fast, right? And to get things fast, oh, yeah. you have to get cheap, right? So, I mean, you know, like the idea of like, oh, let me stuff down this quick food while I'm at my desk, punching away at a keyboard is a lot more mm-hmm. common than let me take, oh, and by the way, for, you know, a small amount of money, a few bucks versus let me spend, you know, $20 to sit and slowly eat a, you know quality meal of farm to fork type food. Now, it seems like that idea is beginning to catch on on the fringes, but it's not mainstream by any means. And I know a lot of the folks that, I mean, a lot of my friends that are educated people don't even like, it just doesn't even cross their radar. Yeah. But um, do you feel like there's a cultural aspect to this too?
1: Absolutely. I, I think you're right. It's just for 40 years how we have been raised and what we have done. And it's a, it's a paradigm shift for folks to to think about, um, you know, at Bull City Burger and Brewery, we're the kind of restaurant that doesn't have tomatoes in January on our burgers. And, you know, I've been been sent emails praising that and, and saying how amazing it is. I can't believe you stand for that. This is so great. And I've had an equal number of people tell me they will never come back to the restaurant. They will never eat there again. I hate this restaurant because you don't have tomatoes in January. And I say, well, the tomatoes are mealy, they're hard, and they don't taste good. And I've literally had customers say to me, I don't care, a tomato belongs on a burger. And at the heart of that is how we have become, as a society and a culture, we have become enabled to think that food should be available all the time, year-round, no matter what we want. And and there isn't a blame necessarily on people for that. We have huge food companies that have completely changed the American diet and have have absolutely manipulated what we eat and how we do uh, because it was easy for them. So it's funny how a lot of people kind of accept that corn, it's really kind of a seasonal thing, it's a summer thing, we look to sweet corn when it's delicious eating corn, and we don't necessarily expect it unless it comes out of a can in January, but with tomatoes, you know, in America, you should have something red in your salad 12 months of the year. And otherwise, there is something wrong with your restaurant. But that's just not how nature works. And we definitely need to educate people. And you know, when you when you pose the question to people, and you say, look, you know, Thanksgiving comes once a year, Christmas comes once a year, it's just how it is. And you you kind of joke, and you sort of lead them into this understanding that, you know, your food, there's there's advantages to eating seasonally, you get to look forward to things that are really exciting and delicious when they're in season. And then you don't get bored of things. You know, when, when, when strawberries are in season, I gorge on them for about six to eight weeks when they're really delicious and good. And after that, strawberry season is over and there's something else that's coming around the corner. and You get all excited on that. But strawberries are not something we should be eating year round. And you look at how does that get to the table in January and it doesn't taste good anyway. There's a real kind of, aha moment for some people where they go, you know, I never thought about that.
0: Man, I'm, I'm, dude, I'm, I'm drinking the juice, my friend. I I love, I love that you do that. I love that you stand for that. I think that's so valuable. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Then I want to talk a little bit more about that. What do you, um, I'm just, this is pure personal curiosity, uh, and and lack of knowledge and education. So during the winter months, I mean, we don't have a harsh winter here in the Carolinas, but you know, we have winter months. What do you, what I mean, what do you like? What, what, what vegetables are available? Well, it, it gets available?
1: hard. You know, at Pompieri Pizza, we uh, we joke that if you like Brussels sprouts, you're going to love it here in the winter because we do a lot of Brussels sprout pizzas and you know these <laughs> kind of kale pizzas and things that do well in this colder weather. Um, and that's just how it is. Uh, if you come in in February and you think you're gonna see zucchini and tomatoes on a pizza, it just isn't gonna happen. We just aren't gonna do that. We're trying to work with local farmers. I like that food should be traceable that you know it's accountable. Where did that come from um yeah. and we used We use different things for to make that point uh you know at both cities it's the tomatoes. granted, you know we still have caramelized onions on the menu but we we simply can't um we simply cannot you know just get rid of everything that isn't seasonal, uh, like you know, having an onion that isn't available or garlic or something because it isn't local. We just use tomatoes as a way to communicate that message. But for the most part on a burger, most of the things that we have are grown locally. I mean, Lettuce can be grown in the winter um, in greenhouse, and I'm kind of finicky that way too. Uh, yes, you can get tomatoes that are local in January, except they're grown in a greenhouse using fossil fuels and they don't taste good. And so I just won't support that. Um, but lettuce is something that can grow without fossil fuels and greenhouses. So it's a fine line, you know, it always, it strikes to that debate of what is local. You know, you want to open up a can of worms, you start talking about what is local. Uh, I live in Durham. Our restaurants are in Durham. If I buy lettuce in Durham, we would all pretty much agree that's local. If I go a few miles toward Raleigh and we buy lettuce, there is that local a lot of people would say, yeah, that's, that's still pretty local. And then some people would say, well, that's not so local. You know, if we go to Wilmington, is that local? Well, now it's not so local. Well, you know, where do you draw that line? If I want coffee beans, there's no North Carolina coffee beans. You know, we got to go to South America yeah. for coffee. Uh, you right. know? So drawing these lines is always a, is a crucial thing. And, and at the end of the day, I have to, I have to go to sleep at night and think about, you know, what am I comfortable with and where can I draw those lines? There are some things I simply won't compromise on. You know, like I I will close the restaurant before I'll serve corn fed beef. There's no no gray area for me there. I know the farmers that we get our beef from. I've walked these farms. I've seen them. I've seen the cows. I've dined with these farmers at their, their table or in our restaurant, and the relationship is solid, and we're all committed to the same movement, and it's really important.
0: Mm, man, that's really cool. And I like the tomato as the example because you're 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 prompting questions. You're prompting uh, an opportunity for education. You're prompting people to say, "I think this is great," which is who you're really you know wanting to serve and who you built your restaurant for. You're prompting people to say, "This is BS. I'm not going to eat here." Whatever, a tomato belongs in a burger. Then that person's either not the right customer or maybe every time they'll start to go, hey, wait a minute. Now I'm starting to right. learn, hey, what that guy's doing is actually really cool. Um, right. So, but see, this is, folks, as you're listening, like, I, I always feel like, uh, and we try to do this at Schedule 5, too, is it, I, just if you if you stand for something, you're going to, and correct me where, I, where you might disagree, stuff, but, I mean, my, my general philosophy on that is, like, you're going to attract Rabbit fans of what you believe in you will also you also uh cause people that you know are not don't believe that maybe to turn away but the people you know but people become so much more loyal and so much more vocal uh as fans when they know this is what this guy and his restaurants are about and his team and what they're about And it's not like they're just going there and eating their food and leaving. When they're behind what you're doing, they're going to go, you know, where like they say, like, you know, somebody had a bad experience, will tell 10 people or whatever, and somebody has a good experience, will tell one. I think if you stand for something, you really believe in something like you do, I think somebody that believes that will go tell 100 people, you know, what you're doing Mm -hmm. because they believe so much and are so behind. So it's this weird thing where it it actually – not only does it make you sleep at night, but it's it's really good for your business uh, long term. Don't, so. don't you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely, I I agree. You know the you can't be everything to everybody. Uh, there are restaurants that try to do that, and if you try to do that, good luck. I mean that's that's a tough road to go. But you end up having to cut corners and compromise because simply trying to please everybody is is just a, a losing proposition to me. And those are those menus where you know, typically a diner or something like that I go to and you. You sort of, you know, it's a 17-page plastic thing that you flip through, and they serve breakfast all day, lunch all day, dinner all day. And you you got to wonder just how fresh is it if they're serving omelets and meatloaf and spaghetti and pancakes and all of these things. When you come to our restaurants, you know, I I like to joke with people, if you came for burgers, you're going to be really happy. Because we do burgers, we do veggie burgers, hot dogs, and beer. And that's what we do. And... If you came for, for chicken wings and Chinese food and spaghetti, you're going to be really disappointed. But if you like burgers, we make 28 different toppings. We make everything in-house. I mean, the hot sauce, we make the Worcestershire sauce, sriracha, the mayonnaise, the mustard, the barbecue, everything but the ketchup is literally made in the restaurant. And with that, uh, you know, you've got a lot of options. You know, we have a number on the w- website there. It's kind of a it's a weird number that sits out on some of the pages. It's says, You know, um, 67,108,864. That's the number of uh, hamburgers you can make with 28 different toppings. So if you like burgers, you're in the right place. Um, You know, at the pizza place at Pompieri, we do wood-fired, Neapolitan-style pizzas. We do that. We have a few appetizers. We make gelato. But it it really wasn't about, hey, let's add pasta to it and let's do panini sandwiches and ravioli and all these things. I want to make really good burgers. I want to make really good pizza. And that's what we stand for. And I'd rather do quality over quantity. That has always been the mission. If you're not in the mood for pizza, that's okay. Hopefully you are next week or the week after and you'll come in. Um, Because I just don't want to have a steak and fish entree and all these different things. Because as soon as you dilute the menu, I feel like quality begins to drop.
0: Mm. Well, okay. So then... So you you clearly have a, a a very strong passion for what you're doing and a very clear philosophy and mission. Uh, in fact, on your mission statement and your core values, um, the first thing is to 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 build one of the best, and this is on the Bull City uh, site, to build you know one of the best burger places uh, anywhere. And then number number two um, is about your employees. And so mm-hmm. I want to ask you about that because clearly you have to have when you have when you have your, your way of doing business and your philosophy, you've got to also have not only just you, you know, uh, preaching the gospel, so to speak, but I, I've got to think you have to have staff that are bought into this heavily, too. So talk about your employees and, and, and clearly also with, you know, doing all that you do in-house, you, you have a large staff, I imagine. You've got a lot of things going on. So you have to have people that are really behind this, I, I assume, right? So just tell me about Absolutely. your staff. Absolutely.
1: Uh first of all, the staff is one of the absolute best things about these restaurants. They are fantastic folks who work really hard. they do believe in the mission uh Those who come on board are frequently you know I'm kinda you guys do something your food is fresh I'm not real sure and after a short period of going through some training and introduction and sitting with me and learning uh it's a pretty remarkable transformation we had We had an employee um she talks about how she had gone to um, a family picnic after working with us for a year and at the family picnic, you know, they, it was like during the summer and they, they were making burgers. She took one bite of the burger and couldn't eat it. Now this is a girl who probably shops at very, you know, I know she shopped at like food lion and had never, ever in her life considered where does my food come from and what's the quality and all of those things. And from just being an employee and eating our food on a regular basis, it was kind of making a, a transformation to herself and her children. And I think that's a really powerful thing. You know, the, the employees are just fantastic at what, what they bring to the table, how they become so passionate about the mission and sharing it and how they're willing to educate customers from what they're learning.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they do. They educate customers, they educate friends. I mean, they become, they become spokespeople people for, for this. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, but tell me this. Um, I just just kind of random, but I, did, I noticed on uh, on the Bull City site. Uh, I thought this was so cool. You have something called the Tattoo Promise, and it's like, hey, if you get a tattoo of our logo, you get like twenty six percent off your meal for life, or or whatever. Like, n- number yeah. one, like, dude, that's awesome. So you know, just <laughs> what a cool thing. And then and then I noticed that I I just kind of laughing reading it, and then I scroll down. There's like pictures of people that are doing it. So. Tell, tell me sure. about that. It's,
1: it's awesome. We, so we have six people who have um, who have gotten tattoos with our logo or the name Bull City Burger and Brewery. And it was, uh, it was just sort of something that I had seen done uh, a long time ago and I kind of filed it away as something I'd love to do someday just to see if there's that much brand loyalty. And so we decided that, um, you know, we would offer this tattoo promise and if anybody actually did it, they would get a discount for life, which... Actually, I'm shocked that there are six people and I'm thrilled at the same time that you really can't, uh, you know, we can never close the restaurant now because, you know, these people have tattoos. So I plan to be here a long time and uh, they're pretty loyal customers. But it was all done in good fun. It certainly gets a lot of talk. I mean, when folks come in and see this, we've got a post it on the restaurant. You hear the jokes and all that. And, um, you know, but these folks, they're really proud. They come in and they love to, you know, lift their shirt, and show their show their stomach or wherever they've gotten it and, you know, show off that they have a Bull City tattoo and then they get their discount. It's just been a real fun thing to see a, a transformation of, of brand loyalty and customers.
0: That's awesome, man. And, you, and yeah. so, um, yeah, I mean, just, again, something else that kind of stands out. I mean, there's, you know, goodness gracious, um, we have 5,000 customers. There's hundreds of thousands of, you know, independent restaurants, not even even counting the chains in the the U.S. So it's hard, um, I think, sometimes if you're not creative or you don't stand for something to really stand out. Um, And, but I I, I just, I think it's so, I I just, I see a lot of websites from a lot of restaurants, man. Yours is really for a guy and, and maybe it's just, you know, I just appreciate the value of, I don't think it's like the product, you know, itself always that is so important. It is, critical, but it's the people behind it, the story behind it, what what that business stands for. So I tend to really attach myself to businesses that have an authentic story and that Mm -hmm. believe in something. Even if I pay a lot more for it, I feel like when I wear their clothes or eat their food or use their products, that it's more than just like, I've got this, you know, like Patagonia is an example. I like them. I like their story. I like what they do. When I wear their stuff, it's not just, hey, I've got this rain jacket. It's like, I've got this rain jacket that means something. You, you, when right. I eat a burger in your place or eat your pizza, I feel like I'm eating something that means something. And that's, you know, to more and more people these days that are a little disaffected with corporate America and, you know, in, in your industry, maybe with big food, um you know what a great thing, man. I mean, it's really cool what you're doing. So I, I just, Thank you. I really appreciate and admire you for for the way you run your business. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so you've had, um, just, I mean, this is almost really something I probably should ask you about earlier on, but uh, I am curious. So you've you've had, um. 27 years or so in the business and, but you had a microbiology degree from university of yeah. Florida and then you went to uh culinary Institute of America. So just, uh, you know, give me a short summary of just your, your career path. Cause I know you, obviously you started out probably cooking and then, you know, now you own two places. Have you owned other restaurants or, you know, how did you get where you are today?
1: Uh, yeah. The, the quick story is that I was cooking my way through uh, high school and um, yeah, I remember coming home my senior year, and I was supposed to go to college. I said to my parents, "You know what? I want to be a chef." I had been a chef took me under his wing, and I said, "This is really great. I was, you know, enamored by the life and the joking and the, the banter of the kitchen and the hard work." And you know, their response was, "No way in hell are you going to spend the rest of your life working in kitchens, slaving away in the heat. You are going to college." So. To make them happy, I went to college. I got a microbiology degree. And when I graduated, I had two applications, one to med school and one to the CIA. I didn't tell my parents about the CIA. And I figured I'll I'll send it in. And if I get in, then I'll make a decision. I still had time to submit my medical application. Well, two weeks literally to the day that I graduated from the University of Florida, I started at the CIA in Hyde Park and never really looked back. And I never thought I'd use my microbiology degree, but then I was – cooking for a while and one day um i I used to hang out and drink beer at a a little brew pub in chicago called goose island brewery and i got to know greg hall who was uh the the head brewer and the part owner his dad owned it and we used to talk a lot he's a real foodie and he would ask me about sauces and and pairing beer with food and wine with food and just one day he said to me you know what you have a great great background that would be perfect for becoming a brewer my sister's leading do you want to learn to brew beer I was I was not very smart. I was still young and kind of dumb, but I was smart enough to know that everybody seemed to want this job, so I should take it, and I can always go back to cooking, and I didn't really, I'd never home-brewed or anything, but he took me in and uh, taught me so much of what I know today. I'm very appreciative, and allowed me to go from there to becoming a sommelier, and I've traveled the world with wine, and then opened up um, a wine shop, and finally, you know, I, I loved what I did, but I always wanted to get back to that burger and beer idea because I love making things with my hands. And so through wine, I was able to meet investors, and those investors uh, invested in me to open up Bull City Burger Brewery, and that was four and a half years ago, and now it's led to two restaurants, and I'm planning on two more. So that's that's the the medium-long story.
0: No, no, that's great, man. That's really cool. So, in fact, I want to ask you, because I know you you, you, uh, I read somewhere that you have you know, two, two main financial backers and they're from Durham. And, and, um, clearly, I mean, like you are, you have a, you know, you have a focus on doing something that benefits, uh, Durham and the surrounding area. And you probably have investors that are, that also have, you know, like philosophy. So, but talk a little bit about like, as you went out, did you kind of like, did, did you pitch this to a lot of investors or did you already know these guys or tell me a little bit about that process? You no,
1: know, I, yeah, I knew them through wine, and, um, you know, I've been kicking around the back of my mind, and they said, one day they just said, you know, they invested in the wine shop, and it was going so well, and I said, if you ever want to do anything else, we would love to back you, and that's always a good situation to be in. Yeah. So I said to them, actually, there is something else I really would like to do, and I showed them the idea and the business plan, and they said, let's go for it. And, uh, you know, I was I was lucky in that respect. I didn't have to spend a lot of time going out. Trying to find money and investors, I know that can be a really tough road. I did that for the wine shop um where I had to you know find a group of people who were willing to invest in that, but you know once you prove yourself once, it gets a lot easier the second time around and and um uh, you know that's that's always a trick you know how do you how do you find someone who believes in your dream as much as you
0: well do you i mean so you so then clearly you have investors that um not only you know believe in your ability to you know, to to pull off a successful restaurant, but probably share your your philosophies. Is is that? I mean, do you think that's an important part of that? Like, if you're so, because I'm thinking of somebody listening to this that's you know maybe raising money and maybe they even know somebody that has you know some 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 capital available. But do you think it's um is it important that you really share the same belief system and philosophies and they believe in the sort of the you know they're looking long term, not sort of for a quick short. Uh, return, but really they're bought into what you're doing. You know, In other words, there's no myopia there on their part. They're really th- thinking about the long-term and um, your well-being, and, and they're bought into kind of how you want to do things and what you're all about.
1: Well, I, yes, I agree. There are several types of investors. There are people who invest in something purely for return, and um, I, I've done well enough that I think that they're, my investors are happy with the return, but I think because we are all in – passionate about the food that we make and we cook when we're in the restaurant industry, I would recommend finding people who are passionate about the mission of your restaurant and what your goals are rather than just purely investment uh, for a couple of reasons. One, if it doesn't go as well as you'd hoped, uh, hopefully they say, well, it's good. The the return is good enough, uh, but we really love what you're doing and that's, that's okay. But number two, if they are as passionate as you or get the mission or they're invested in that it makes conversations it easy easier and they're out there as spokespeople and marketing and advertising for you as well. And, And it just makes a better environment because they come in and they get as excited as you are to see that fresh foraged morels just came in the back door or, you know, the ramps just came in or look at this fish that just came right off the coast and, you know, literally caught at 2 a.m. and here it is 10 a.m. It's in the restaurant and we're starting to butcher it down. You know, if someone gets excited about that, they're probably a great investor to have on board. Um, so that would be my choice. Always try to find someone who not only wants to see a good investment financially, but really gets what you're after. And is excited as you are about the food.
0: Awesome, man. That's good stuff. That's really good advice. Um, so, i I mean, Seth, look, you're a busy guy. You've taken a solid half hour of your time to do this, man. And, like, I can't even, I mean, just, I could tell you all day, I I share so many beliefs, but just for your uh, sake of being respectful of your schedule, and um, I'm going to let you roll. But, man, I really, really appreciate you doing this. I think anybody listening is going to get excited and passionate, and probably folks that may have, you know, I just I just think you really inspire people to to kind of learn to take a stand for something and why it's not only good personally for you know how you feel about yourself and what you're doing but it, it truly is you know good for your business. You have two successful places. You said you got two more in the works. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's the plan. We uh, I'm looking at at least two more. If not, uh, yeah, there's a potentially for five down the road if the plan goes well. But. Each is a unique individual concept um, with a different food theme, and always, always working with local farmers and sustainability, and also being uh, very focused on doing something well rather than lots of different things.
0: So, folks, you know, look, Seth's been very successful here doing this. Take a stand, and not only will your customers support you, they'll they'll put a tattoo on their body of your of your logo. There so you that's that's how that's how valuable it can be. Hey, listen, thanks, Seth. I appreciate it, man, and. Um, uh just thanks for your time and all the great advice and wisdom and uh, just the kind of inspiring content you gave us today, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you today.
0: All right. Take care, man. Bye-bye. All right, bye bye Bye, bye